It is a privilege and honor to be up here with you. Um, my name is Mark, if you don't know who I am. It is a joy to be back, and it's been a while since I've been up here. So uh, I'm a little nervous. This is weird for me. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing, really. But um, it is my joy to open up the Word of God with you uh, for the first time since Easter. Uh, we're going to be in uh, starting the book of Genesis this morning, so you can begin to work your way there. Uh, I just want to... Uh, who's running our slides here? Can we get Rick to run the slides since I told you what, how this is going to flow? Um, I want to... Uh, it's my daughter. She doesn't, I didn't tell her yet. So, um, Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to knock off some rust here in a minute. Um, no, what, what was I even saying? Oh, so I, I want to first of all start by just saying uh, thank you. I've been on sabbatical. It was the first sabbatical I had in 20 years of ministry. Uh, it was four and a half months. It was amazing. So I want to I thank uh, the members of this church that have prayed for us and supported us. I want to thank the other uh, elders that, that have stepped up and, and encouraged us and provided for us. Uh, it, was, it was an amazing, amazing time. And, and I don't take that lightly. And I know that uh, you, you might be thinking, right now as I would be thinking if I was in your shoes. Oh, that must be nice to just take four months off. I get that not everyone can do that, uh, but I'm just grateful to you as a church and to the elders uh, to, to be able to do that. I, I'm not sure what I expected going into sabbatical. Uh, I just knew that I was kind of fatigued. I was kind of uh, tired. I don't, I don't know that I was burnt out. I don't know where that limit is for me. I just didn't get to that point yet. I had planned on taking sabbatical in the summer of 2020. We had tickets. We were ready to go, and you know what happened there. The world shut down, and then the world set on fire, and uh, it really wasn't a good time to go on sabbatical for a couple years after that. But nonetheless, uh, went in there. I didn't know what to expect going into sabbatical. Never done this before. I thought, oh, maybe the Lord will do some uh, amazing work in my, uh, my heart, my life, and I'll come back with some vision, and, and, and it'll be amazing for our church, and we'll, we'll go forward in that. Uh, but God didn't do any of that. Um, what God did do was give me rest, to, to give me an opportunity to step back and just live the days slowly once again. I don't know if you've had opportunity to do this recently, but, but to just kind of sleep in and, and, and rest. And um, I, I got to uh, work with my hands, build some uh, raised garden beds and get my hands dirty in the soil and plant seeds and just water them and watch and wait and I learned that I'm not a very good gardener. Um, it's kind of a debacle. But I'm learning, and it was, it's slow. It's, it's not instant. And, and so I got to spend time uh, like cooking and, and learning to cook better and, and try new recipes. And uh, I got a, a pizza oven, an Oni pizza oven. And I shipped in a 50-pound bag from Italy of flour and uh, tomatoes from Italy. And I think I've just about perfected the art of the pizza. That took time. My mother-in-law took us to Hawaii, and I got to, uh, I'll, I'll never forget just the moment uh, where the sun is setting in Kauai, and I'm in the ocean with my daughters, and we're just having some slow time together. In the mornings, walking with my wife on the beach, and, and just chatting and talking and reconnecting. We got to go to Europe, got to do 35 days there, uh, London to Paris to Amsterdam to Berlin to Munich to Italy to Switzerland. It was amazing, all the sights on the sounds, that, that was amazing. But the greatest gift of that trip was 35 uninterrupted days with teenage daughters. 
If you get 35 uninterrupted days with your teenage daughters, that is a great gift in life. And so, again, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I got to read, and I love reading and try to have that as a normal rhythm in my life, but I got to read. I set out to read 30 books, and I got to 36, and, and in that time, I, there was about five or six books, and I was actually trying not to read Christian books. I was just trying to just chill and, and read like novels and stuff like that, uh, but, but about five or six of these books that some of them are secular and some of them were from a Christian perspective, they began to resonate in, in my soul. Uh, they, they were all talking about this kind of crazy frenetic pace that we're on as a culture and how it's just kind of madness and it creates a a shallowness to our lives and I was resonating with that especially on sabbatical and out of that kind of came this this idea like when I come back I just for my own self I want to kind of process that with our my faith family uh, through a series that we're going to call margin uh, cultivating space to flourish now now we're I was just going to do this in, in one week and maybe two, but then I realized you can't really do a series on finding margin and space to breathe in your life in one week. That, that would defeat the purpose. Um, for those of you that are nervous, like, hey, I thought we read the Bible here, we're going to get to the Bible. Uh, and also, later in the fall, we're going to go uh, systematically through the book of Exodus, so you can just chill for a moment. But we're going to look at uh, what does it mean to uh, kind of some, cultivate some space in our lives to flourish. Um, if you've ever had the opportunity to drive in Germany, you know that uh, you want to drive on the Autobahn. So the first half of our trip, we took trains everywhere, but the second half was to kind of chill out and slow down. And so uh, we got the rental car and packed the kids in the back. And it was supposed to be big, but European cars aren't big, so they're really crammed in there. And you get on the Autobahn. Now, you know the Autobahn, uh, some, sometimes it has speed limits of about 130 kilometers per hour, which is about 80 miles per hour, and you're going. But then there's other times where, where they lift that speed limit and there's no speed limit. That's a six lane highway and you're going and especially if you're in a rental car, you better not be in the, the fast lane very long before a European supercar is going to come flying up behind you and you have to get out of the way or it could go bad because they're going 120, 130, 150 miles per hour. It is insane and it's a, it's a bit exhilarating as, as you're going, even in the rental car, you're going and you're hitting 100 miles per hour and you just start to focus. But when you're normally driving through Europe, it's, it's a different experience. Yeah, right. Because we live in Colorado. We don't see these things. And so, so often during our trip, as I'm driving, I'm like, hey, look, there's a castle. She's like, yeah, that's cool. And hey, look, there's another castle. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, look, there's an Ikea. Yeah. And there's another Ikea and there's a castle. And so normally you're kind of taking it all in because it's so different from what we're used to. But, but when you're driving on the Audubon and, and the speed limit's removed, um, you don't notice any of that anymore because your focus starts to get more and more. And you're just trying to stay alive because you got your whole family in your rental car and, and you're, you're still kind of pushing it a little bit. Um, and that, that's fun for a while, but you kind of start to miss things as, as they go by because you, you're trying to stay alive. But as, as everywhere goes, there, there, there's some maintenance, some construction that needs to be done on the highways. And maybe you were on a road trip in America this last summer and somewhere in the middle of nowhere, maybe in the desert, like all of a sudden there's going to be a construction zone. And what do we do? We put up these bright orange cones uh, and these kind of barrels and, and they slowly move you over and narrow you down into one lane. And it's pretty annoying because you're going slow and you're like, ah, oh, but, but you make it through and it's slow. But that's not what they do in Europe. 
And that's not what they do on the Audubon. Oh, they got to do some construction, but their priority is to keep it moving. And so uh, they take this six-lane highway and they, they start to reroute you with this little um, barrier in, that's like a metal barrier that's like a foot and a half high in the middle of the road. And it takes you onto the other side of the highway and it comes from six lanes down to four lanes. So you have two lanes going, but the lanes start to get very, very tight. And it's not like they slow down the traffic like they do here. It's still 50, 60, 70 miles per hour. But it gets very, very tight. And, and as it gets very, very tight, you just feel in your soul like a, a, a tenseness of beginning to rise. And, and you're getting closer and closer. And the oncoming cars are, are just divided by this. You're afraid. You're like, if I roll down my window, put out my hand, I'm going to get a high five to the next driver. That's how close it feels. We're going to rip our arm off, but that's how you, and if you're in the passenger seat and you're driving and a semi truck comes next to you and it's taking literally the entire lane, uh, you could roll down the window and, and put a little smiley face in the smudge of the dirt of the semi truck, but you're still going 50, 60 miles per hour. And when that happens, man, as the driver, you're just super, super intense. Anxiety rises. You're, you're just focusing and, and just praying. Keep me in the middle of this lane. Let, let the people oncoming stay in their lane. Let, let the semi-truck stay in his lane. And it's just, it's kind of a miserable experience. There's no more pointing out castles or Ikea or anything like that. All you are is stressed out, focused. You're like, turn off that music. Shut up, kids. I've, I've got, I'm trying to stay alive here. It sucks. When there's no margin... It sucks. And this is kind of, an, kind of a metaphor for uh, the series and for, for our lives. When things get so tight and, and your focus narrows and anxiety rises and, and you, you get stressed out and you start snapping at people, whether it's uh, because you have no margin financially, you have no margin relationally, you have no margin with your work-life balance, you have no margin. These, this is not how life is meant to be lived. So, so let, let's start with some, some def, definitions of where we're going here with this. So margin is that space between our current pace and our limits. And uh, one of the things we're going to see this morning, we, we all have limits. You have a financial limit. You have a relational limit. You have a work limit. We, we all have, well, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But that's the space between our current pace and our limits. And I want to argue in this series that it's actually uh, in the margin where life uh, flourishes. It's in the margin of your life where you can actually meet with and experience the presence and power of God in your life. It's in the margin of your life where things flourish in your life. When you have no margin, your stress goes up, your focus narrows, and your relationships suffer. So so margin looks like uh, showing up early to a meeting. Because you didn't have to drive 80 miles per hour to get there. Margin looks like on your calendar having, ha- having some gaps between the next meeting. Margin looks like ha- having uh, the, the pace of life where you can read the word thoughtfully and slowly and, and go on a walk and, and pray for your family, your church, your city. Margin looks like when, when you get to the end of the month and financially there's still money left over that's unallocated. It's margin. Margin looks like working hard but still having enough emotional and energy reserves for your family at the end of the day. This is where we flourish as a people. But culturally, we have a margin problem. We like to live life at the limit. We like to push it to the very end. We 
Well, we'll talk about why we do that in a minute, but in our attempts to uh, get the most out of our lives, we risk losing control of our lives. When you have no margin financially and uh, something breaks in your house or your wife or your kids say, hey, I need some money for something, you, you feel the stress. You feel the anxiety. You might snap at them. When you have no margin in your schedule and with your kids and you're just taking them, you're just basically their taxi from one event to the next, you're not really connecting in a flourishing kind of way with your kids. You have no margin relationally. There, there's, there's nothing fun about, uh, about just maxing out our lives. I mean, I, I like to watch from the comfort of my couch the, the Red Bull athletes and, and the X Games do their thing and where they're just pushing it to the absolute limit. That's in their entertainment. But it's not entertaining to watch a, a husband and wife who have just lived life to the edge and, and they experience a bump emotionally and see how that works out for them. It's no fun watching your friend who just likes to max out everything and maybe is even living beyond their margin financially and the economy turns and a job is lost and they they lose everything. There's no fun in that. It's no fun in a family when there's no margin where the kids would say, hey, dad, when you're home, you're not really home. You feel like you're still at work. And so we want to... We, we want to be a people that flourish. In fact, God wants us to be a people that flourish. So it's no wonder that God actually has a lot to say uh, about building out margin in every area of our life. Because again, it's in the, the margin of our lives that we can flourish. So if you have your Bible, you can begin to look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to pick this up. And I thought in the last five and a half years of Redemption Parker, Genesis 1 and 2 are probably the most preached on passages here. And the reason being is because the implications of Genesis 1 and 2, the creation account of how and why we're here, spin out to a million different implications. There's a million different applications, but we're going to specifically look at it in terms of this this idea here. I I want us to pick it up at the end of chapter one. So just by way of recap, in the beginning, God created. So the theologian said, ex nihilo, out of nothing, God speaks and the universe begins to form. And Genesis chapter one, if we were Hebrew scholars, we, we would see that it actually reads more like a poem than it does a high school science textbook. Not that it isn't scientifically accurate. It's more poetic imagery to show that our God is an artist and he creates and he creates specifically, purposely, and what he creates is good. And so at the end of the creation kind of poetic account of creation, at the end of chapter one, uh, this is what it says at the end of creation. Verse 31. Listen carefully. This is God's word. Listen to what he says. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So it's as if God, after creating the, the, the quasars and the nebulae and the black holes and the moon and the, the sun and the ocean creatures and, and all those things, he kind of steps back, uh, again, poetically steps back and looks and he says, man, this is good. In fact, this is very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so that on the seventh day he rested from all his work. 
Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And again, this is just a, a beautiful picture of a God who is good and purposeful and all-powerful and all-knowing uh, who has created the world. And this is in contrast to the other creation accounts that are out there, both ancient and modern. In the ancient Near East, the, the, the surrounding nations, pagan nations, their creation accounts were uh, there were some gods in the heavens, they fought, and, and kind of the overflow of their battle, the earth was created. And, and it was kind of chaos, and it was kind of just a, an accident. And you fast forward today to modern secularist atheist account, uh, it's all just kind of an accident. It was just kind of primordial ooze and time plus chance, and, and there's really no such thing as purpose. There is no order. There's no thing as love and justice and mercy. Those are all human constructs that we build into our, our lives to try to give our lives a symbol of meaning, but in the end, there is no meaning. That's the modern idea. But we look at Genesis chapter 1 and we say no there is a God he is good he is purposeful he's ordered and he is creating and then did you notice what it says on the seventh day in verse 2 it says he rested from all his works then verse 3 then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done now that's interesting we should pause and ask the question why did God rest I mean, you're like, well, he made quasars and, and the mountains and the moons and the fish and the, 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 the sea creatures and the land creatures and he made man and woman. I mean, you get a day off after that, right? Well, but why? Well, we know even from Genesis chapter 1, but certainly from the rest of the Bible, there has never been a moment where God felt the slightest tinge of fatigue. There's never been a moment where he's like, man, I really put in some work today. Like, there, there was never a moment where he, he felt like, oh, I just, I need to take a day off. So we have to ask the question, why does he do it? Well, because he's modeling for creation. He's modeling for you and me this margin that should be built into our lives. In fact, let's look at our, our lives as, as the story continues. In fact, let's back it up to verse 27. Our creation Verse 27 in chapter 1 says, So God created mankind in his own image. That's the doctrine of the Imago Dei. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There may not be a a verse in the whole Bible that has more implications than this verse. Uh, Again, a thousand different ways. But what you should see very, and the purpose of Genesis 1.27 is to show that you and I are not like the rest of creation. In some unique way, we are, we are, are built with the impress of our maker. We, we have intrinsic worth, far more worth and value in everyone of us and everyone who has ever come and everyone who's on the planet today and everyone who will ever come, far more worth and value just intrinsically in them than we ever, could ever think or imagine because we are meant to reflect the glory and the grandeur of the God who created all things. Again, the implications for this are massive. The way that we are called to love one another, even our enemies, because they bear the impress of God. And so you have intrinsic value. That's the first thing I want want you to see. Your life has significance because God has imprinted his image. You are to reflect in some way, shape, or form his glory to the creation Look what it says in verse 28. Immediately after putting his image on us and creating us, says God blessed them. 
I mean, that's good news. I, I love that. We are created in his image, and he's like, uh, more than that, I'm going to bless you. Well, what does the blessing look like? A couple things. He says, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So the, the first blessing of, of being his sons and daughters, image bearers, is that we get to have the blessing of relationship, and, and by and large, we get to have the blessing of families, and we get to multiply, we get to experience, and God says, that's a blessing. You're going to spread my image across the earth. So that's the first thing. But then notice the second thing. It said, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So one of the ways that we reflect the image of God, God has dominion over all the universe, meaning he is in, in control and he stewards and he shepherds the entire universe and, and as he does that, he, uh, he then calls us as his viceroys in this little tiny blue speck of a planet. And he says, I want you to reflect me in the world by having dominion. You have some work to do. You're to rule over, you're to care for and steward the earth for the flourishing of all people and all the creatures. Now, we don't always do awesome at this, but that is the call on the, the people that are made in his image. And what I want you to see in that is not only do you have significance because you have the image of God, you have significance because he has called you to significant work. That, that drive in you to make, have a life that matters, that drive in you that, that, that says, man, I, I want to make a contribution to this world, that drive in you, that, that drives you forward in your job or your career or, or whatever you, you are called to, at its root is a good drive. Like that's a good thing. You were made for significance. You were made to work. The problem comes in chapter 3 when when sin enters into the world and even the very best things in this world get twisted by our sin and in the twisting of those things, they get out of place. Or Augustine would say, they get disordered. Our loves get disordered. And so we, we love the wrong things and the, wrong, wrong, the right things in the wrong way and so on and so forth and things get twisted. But what I want you to see is that your life was made to have significance. This series isn't about like, hey, let's just create so much margin that we don't do anything. Like you can't go into your work tomorrow morning and be like, you know, I need some margin in my life. I can give you about an hour a day. Is that going to work? I'd be like, no. And that's not what God is saying here. First thing you need to see is that you were made for significance. And then the second thing, as in chapter 2, it begins to zoom in. So chapter 1 is this kind of overview of creation. And in chapter 2, it, it zooms in literally on the ground. Zooms into creation again. You're like, why are there, why is he retelling the story? Well, look at what it says in, two, in chapter 2. So on the one hand, you have significance. You're made in his image. You have purpose. You were made to desire to make a difference. And then look at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into it, into his nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. In verse 15, it says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. On the one hand, you have significance. You have a kind of glory because you represent our God. On the other hand, you and me, we're dust. And there's a tension between those two realities. 
We are not like God. We, we are like God because we reflect God, but we're not like God in that we are dust. From dust we came and to dust we will go. We are limited. We are finite. We are formed and we will be deformed in, in the grave. We are dust. And this tension is what, what I think we, 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 we live, live in. And when we deny both realities, we deny who God created us to be. We are limited in, in many, many ways. We see that we're limited in our bodies. Adam had to be placed in a specific time, in a specific place, in a specific garden. And, and, and he's like, okay, Adam, I have the whole universe, the vast array uh, to take care of. But you just take care of this little tiny garden. See how you do with that. I mean, it's, it's meaningful work, but it's still, we're not God. God has no limits. He has all the omnis behind his name. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's uh, omnipresent. He's got all those, but we have none of that. We are dust. We have limits. So we have limits in our bodies and, and at different stages uh, in our life. The, the limits look differently. We have limits financially. All of us have a, a certain amount in our bank account and certain amount coming in, that's, that limits us. We have limits, uh, again, in our bodies with sleep. We all have to sleep. And, and some of us for more than others and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, some, no, it doesn't matter how many Red Bulls you drink, you're, you're going to hit, you're going to just pass out eventually because you're limited, you're designed. And God has put those limits on us and those are good things. God says, I want you to sleep. Sleep is, for some of you, an act of faith. Now you're so uptight, so tense. I've got to run everything. I've got to do everything. I've got to drive everything. But, but when it comes to sleep, you have to say, God, I am not God. You are God. I'm going to trust that you can tr- continue to control the universe while I sleep. That's why for some of you, the application today, the most spiritual thing you can do is go home and take a nap. Amen? Well, we don't say that anymore around here. <laughs> I've been gone for a while, but come on. Some of you just need a nap. Because it's an act of faith to say, I'm limited. God, you've you got you to gotta do your thing. Well, we're limited financially. We're limited educationally. You know, you drop out of high school. That's the kind of limit that gets put on your life. Uh, you get a PhD from Harvard. That's its own kind of limit, right? You have a limit of how much you can make. You, get, you can uh, get to a place in our culture, our crazy culture, where uh, you are so successful. And so you just work harder and harder because you've got to keep this thing going. And you try to deny your limit, try to push it to the very extreme, so on and so forth. We're all limited in our time. It doesn't matter how educated, how rich, how wealthy, what, what status you have. You have 24 hours every day. 24 hours. We all have the same. And a day is coming for each one of us where we'll have less than 24 hours on that day. We're limited. We're limited in our lifespan. I'll pull up a couple on the screen here, but Job put it this way. Job, look look at what Job says. A person's days are determined. Okay, by who? You, God. You have decreed the number of months and have set limits he cannot exceed. Job is just reflecting. He's like, listen, 
I don't have control over my life. I don't know what, what happens tomorrow. We're limited in our knowledge. We, we have to learn things and we forget things and we think we know, but we don't know. God's not limited in any way. And so Job just turns to God and says, you have decreed the days. You have set the limits. The psalmist put it similarly when he said, uh, no, that's Matthew. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you, do you see the implication here? When you recognize that you are gloriously made, but you're also limited, and that you recognize that those limits are established by God, and you begin to acknowledge your limits, wisdom begins to rise up in your life. You would live differently if God told you you have one week to live. You, just, you would live a wiser life over the next week. You would live differently if you knew you had one month. You would live differently if you knew you had a year. And the psalmist is just saying, if we could just live with that reality that we have limits, that there's not going to be endless days, and this is not just for our life, but this is everywhere. You would live differently if you really understood your financial limits. And you said, I want to build some margin in that. You would live wiser. You would live differently uh, as a parent if you really understood there's only one first day of school. There's, a, there's only one first recital. There's only, you know, so on and so forth. We, we convince ourselves, well, there'll be more opportunities. There'll be other times. But, but the psalmist is saying, if you understand your limits and live like you have limits, you can start to live a wiser life. This is why God wants us to flourish. Life is better with limits. But if we're going to get to the heart of this in this series, and we're going to unpack it over several weeks, if we're going to get to the heart of this, we've got to ask the question, why do we live such crazy, frenetic, to the end, to end of our rope lives, financially, relationally, work. All, all, why, why do we do that? And there's, we could give a lot of reasons why I do this. But at the root of it, I, I believe at the root of it is, is fear. We even use that kind of language. Well, if I don't do this, I'm, I'm afraid that, that my kids won't have what, what, what I want them to have. If I don't have my kid in all the sports and in the best school, I'm afraid that they're just not going to have all the opportunities they need. So I'm going to put my kid on the, on the hamster wheel like I've been on so they can learn to live to the very edge of their limits. It's insanity. Uh, you know, we, we, at the end, of there, there's this fear, this fear of missing out, FOMO. If, I, if, if we don't do this, we're going to miss out on this opportunity. Or, or there's this fear negatively of like, I'm going to fall behind. So there's this, this voice like we're, we're falling behind. I don't even know what that means. Well, we can't keep up with them and those people have no margin. Why would we want to live like them? Well, if I don't drive this and I don't go on vacation here and uh, if I don't have this house, you know, I, you know, am I even really living in that, that way? It's insanity. There, there's a fear of missing out. There's a fear of falling behind. But, but again, even at the root of that, I think, Maybe, maybe more so, maybe not. For guys, there's a fear of not mattering. Like, I've got to show the world that my life matters. And so much of our identity gets wrapped up in our, our work. And, and so uh, if our identity is wrapped up in our work, we, we better make sure our work is good so that we can show the world I'm worthy. I'm worth it. I have justified my life. Brothers and sisters, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to renew your mind to the gospel in this moment. You don't have to earn your justification. You don't have to earn your salvation. Salvation by work, any work, your actual job or just any works, is a poor salvation. 
Jesus has come to take it all. He has justified you. He has made you worthy. He has uh, cleansed you by his blood. Our identity must come and our margin must come from a resting in him and what he's done alone. So I want us to do a little bit of a, a self-survey. Now, you could, you could get out your phone. I'm going to have some things on here. You can get out your phone. You can use a, a Connect card in some way, shape, or form. Take notes. Maybe you have a good memory, and that's fine. You could do that. But I, but I want us to just do a self-assessment at the beginning here. Again, be as on, I mean, you, don't lie to yourself, okay? So just as honest as you can on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being, man, I'm, I'm crushing it. I've got margin. There's energy. This is amazing. One being like, man, I am, I am, I'm going to burn out. I'm going to die. How are you doing? How are you doing in your relationship with God? Is it, is it rushed? Is it hurried? Is it slow? Is it meaningful? Is it deep? Is it rich in your prayer life, in your time in his word? Just on a scale of 1 to 10 between you and God right now. If you're married, how's, how's your, your marriage? Is there enough margin in your life that, that your spouse doesn't feel like they just get the leftovers? Do you have meaningful conversations? Are, are, are there moments where you don't even have to have conversation, you can just sit together, take a walk? How are you doing in your marriage? If you're a parent, how, how are you doing with your children? Are you afraid that if you don't get them in everything and everywhere at all times that they're somehow going to miss out? They'll miss out if they have no margin and no time with you. And let's not believe the lie that, well, I'm going to give them quality time and it's not so much about quantity time. That's a misnomer. What about your other family, your, your siblings, your cousins, your, your parents? How are you doing on a scale of 1 to 10? How about your friendships? I know for a lot of guys, like, this is the one thing that just goes out, you know, that doesn't seem that important. I'm just not going to have any friendships because I'm maxed out at work right now or something like that. How are you doing in your work in school? Do we have that work-life balance that um, even the secular world is saying, man, we, we need some of that because life is better with margin. How about in your finances? Are, are, you, um, are you maxed out or is there at the end of the day, at the end of the, end of the month, some cushion that, that you are, are allowed to use? Maybe uh, in moments where God says, hey, I want you to invest in my kingdom this way. It's a good thing you got some margin. You can do that. Or, hey, I want you to uh, go on a vacation with your family. It's a good thing you got some margin here financially. How are you doing there? How are you doing in your health? I know for me, when I get maxed out in other areas of my life, man, I neglect my mental and physical health. I start eating bad. I don't exercise. Like, the margin cuts out my health. How about just in your recreation, those hobbies that don't drain you but give you life? How are you doing in those areas? You start to see, man, there's some, there's some balancing act that has to go on here. And then overall, what would you give yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 in your life? Now, if you're brave enough... I want, you to, I want to encourage you to, with your, your spouse or your friends, maybe your gospel community, your core group, at lunch today or sometime this week, just say, hey, here's what my numbers were. I don't want them to be here. Can you just help keep me accountable in this area? Uh, here's how I want to change. This, this is really the first step to getting margins, actually identifying spaces in our lives to find some margin in our lives. Now, if you're not a believer and you're here, we're glad you're here. Like, even in a series like this, 
you're going you're gonna to learn some things where you can kind of just reorder your priorities in your life and, and get some space and, and breathe. That's, that's great. You can take it or leave it. But if you're a follower of King Jesus, this is not optional. The life of, of margin, building that into your life, to, to be a follower of Jesus is to follow his way and his will and to say, I'm going to do things your way. Now, the good news is Jesus is for you. He's not against you. He's not trying to rob you of something by, by saying, hey, pull back a little bit, get some margin in your life. We, we talked about in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, God is limitless. The amazing thing about the gospel is in Christ, he took on our nature. He took on our limits. He left his throne and glory in heaven and he came down and he took on flesh. He took on dust. And he was born to a penniless mother and father and he was limited in time and space. He had to learn to grow and to eat and to talk and to walk and grow in wisdom and stature. And he had all the same limits. He got tired. He got hungry. He got thirsty, we see in the Gospels. He took on our limits. When he was 30 years old, he began to teach. He began to gather some followers, some disciples, and, and, and others started to uh, hang out on the periphery as well. And he began to teach them what life in the kingdom is to look like. What does flourishing actually look like in this life? And he walked everywhere. Someone said, the speed of God is three miles per hour because that's how fast Jesus walked from town to town. He was never rushed. He was never hurried. He was never late. He never wrote a book, never got a graduate degree. He never climbed the corporate ladder. And yet in his brief life, he accomplished more than anyone who would ever live or who will ever live again. One day, he was teaching and he looked out at the crowd and he could see, and they're exhausted. They're anxious. They're tired. They're burned out. They're barely holding on. And he said this to them in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to me. The life you're looking for is found in him alone. The margin you need is found in him alone. The rest you need is found in him alone. So brothers and sisters, Come to Jesus. If you've never bowed your knee to Jesus, King Jesus waits and he's, he, this invitation is to you. For, for those of us that have, it's a daily invitation. Lord, I want to come to you and find rest for my soul today. I want to flourish, Lord. So give me rest. To that end, let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, we are especially mindful and grateful for Jesus who has justified us, saved us, and offers to us peace that is true peace, life that is abundant life. 
Lord, I pray that as we ponder even the self-survey today, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts those areas that you are calling us to build margin back in. Lord, I pray that we'd be a church that uh, has so much margin that we can, we can be used of you for our neighbors and the nations and our friends and our spouses and our children, that we can just be available. Lord, I pray that during this series, God, that you would, you would give us a non-anxious presence here at Redemption Parker. That even in our slow life, Lord, it would be a witness to a frantic and busy and hurried and anxious world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.